Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Cold Hard Cash, written by Matt Cole. Granville Cash served 14 years in prison for a murder he didn't commit. After finally being exonerated, he is awarded a great deal of money for his wrongful conviction. With more time and money than he knows what to do with, he decides to help a friend from prison find his missing daughter, who may have the same deadly disease as his other child. Trouble is, no one has seen or heard from the woman in years. Cash begins combing the streets of Atlanta, tracking down her last known associates, primarily whores, pimps, junkies, and drug dealers. But the path leads surprisingly to some of the city's most respected business people, as well as a few individuals far more unsavory than the street hustlers. As bullets fly and bodies drop, Cash persists, only to find that what he's looking for and why are not exactly what he'd imagined when he started. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Cold Hard Cash. Chapter 1 All happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Leo Tolstoy Four months later when we got home from our cruise down in Miami, Katrina cried the whole time. She would attack us, even made Brent bleed on one occasion. She was only happy in the hotel room, or our cabin with the shades drawn. Lynn was in her early forties, and looked as if she had not had a decent night's sleep in years. We had this feeling something terrible was wrong with her, Brent added. Their daughter, Katrina, was three years old and suffered from a rare genetic disease called Rett Syndrome. I could not tell anything was wrong with the cute little girl as I watched her playing happily on the front porch of their home, and the news hit me hard. Since being released, and having suffered the loss of my pop-pop, I was becoming more sentimental, I guess. She looks fine to me, I said offhandedly. Sorry, does she know? We haven't directly told her, Lynn said but I'm pretty sure she knows something is off. She has seen enough doctors, but she is still very young. It occurs primarily in girls, Brent began. It leads to severe impairments affecting nearly every aspect of her life. Her ability to speak, walk, eat, and even breathe easily. I noticed Katrina's hands making nearly constant, repetitive movements. I must have been staring as Lynn spoke up. That is one of the hallmarks of the syndrome. Sorry, didn't mean to stare, I muttered. Brent was a big man, big in every sense, nearly three bills, and hardly an inch of him could be considered fat. His eyes were a pale blue, and what little hair he had was thinning or graying. Since I first met him back at Walker State, I had seen him only in prison garb. Today he was wearing his best, as if he were going to church, Black boots, clean jeans, and a button-up dress shirt. He was freshly groomed and showered. He lived in a two-story house that needed some work, but it was home. Compared to ourselves, it was a mansion. He got out four years ago, and we'd kept in touch via letters. This is how I'd learned that something was wrong with Katrina. What do you want me to find for Katrina? Are there donors out there that can help her? We want you to find our older daughter, Celia, Brent said. Celia, repeated Lynn. Her voice was soft, almost a whisper. 
She was wearing a yellow floral print dress. She was nearly two feet shorter than Brent, and a third of his weight, but her hair was just as gray as his. She sat in a rocking chair, her hands folded neatly in her lap, and watched Katrina. She never took her eyes off the child. Oh, before we continue, sorry it took so long to get over here, I said. Brent held up his hands. No apologies necessary. Sorry to hear about your grandfather. Just glad they finally figured out that you were innocent, man. Thanks. Lynn was all business. We had, um, we have another daughter, Celia. She left home the day after she turned 18. That was four years ago. A week or so after I was released, Brent muttered. Celia left and never came back. We tried to find her, even thought about hiring a private investigator. But it is so expensive. I've not been able to work because of having to take Katrina to so many doctor appointments and all. Brent is working two jobs, sometimes more, to make ends meet. Lynn looked as if she were about to cry. Brent rubbed her hand. We figured, well, that's the way Celia wanted it, to be on her own. Only now. Could Celia be a compatible donor? I asked. Probably not. But what if she were to have children of her own? We wanted to know the family medical history and... You want to know she is okay. I finished for Lynn. Most missing persons are missing because they want to be. And rarely does anything good come of finding them. Still, little Katrina was three years old, and she was suffering. Her long blonde hair was tied in a ponytail. Her eyes were vibrant green, and her smile was bright enough to melt snow. I couldn't possibly imagine the pain and anguish Lynn and Brent must have experienced as they watched their daughter, knowing she was literally being tortured every day before their eyes. When I was one, my father was killed in Vietnam. I never knew him. My mother lost her mind and left not long after. I've never known her. My grandfather died just four months ago, yet his passing too was fairly quick, although we had both seen it coming. This was something else, losing a child either by disease or disappearance. Tell me about Celia, I said. You'll look for her? Lynn asked somewhat surprised. I won't promise you that I will find her. I made this clear. Lynn squeezed my hands as if I had promised her. Oh, thank you. Brent, I'm not a private investigator. I don't have a license. I have no legal authority or standing. I'm just someone with a ton of time on their hands. I remember you reading every legal and law enforcement book you could get your hands on in the joint, Brent said. I figure you're as good as any investigator we could hire. Why are you doing this? The question caught me off guard. I looked at Lynn. I want to help those who need it. I was incarcerated for a good portion of my life because no one would help me, at least for some time. I met a lot of guys in prison, and some I feel were also wrongfully convicted. Others have no one to help them. I want to be that someone. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Brent added. Only, we're not asking you to do this out of charity. We'll pay you what we can. Nonsense, I said. I will not hear of it. Money is not a problem for me. I have plenty. Even after the blood-sucking lawyers took their cut, I smiled. We aren't charity cases, Brent said, and I saw he was serious. We will work something out then. If you need anything done at your grandfather's house, I'm your man. 
Brent noted. We will work something out. Brent nodded. Is her name spelled C-E-L-I-A? Yes. What is her middle name? Marie. Celia Marie Baldwin. I wrote it down. Pretty name. Lynn smiled slightly and looked down at her hands, which were folded in her lap again. Brent sat in an old wooden chair that had carried too much weight for too long and looked as if it would break any minute. He stared at a spot on the wall that no one else could see. The day after her birthday, Lynn said. She just took her clothes that could fit in a backpack and left. We thought she would come back when her money ran out. She'd worked her senior year and saved every penny. She didn't. When she didn't come back, we went to the police. They weren't much help. They said since she was no longer a minor, and there was no indication she was taken by force, no foul play, well, there was nothing they could do. Why do you think she left? I asked. Were you all fighting? No. Since I'd come back home, she was always at school or working. She avoided me. I barely saw her, Brent admitted. She didn't seem unhappy, Lynn said. Truth is, we don't know why she left. She didn't leave a note. One day she was living here perfectly fine, then poof, she was gone. Boyfriend? Girlfriend? No. Lynn was adamant. It was the first time she'd raised her voice. Brent even looked unnerved. Mycelia's a good girl. Just trying to figure out a reason she left, I quietly explained. Lynn stared at him for a moment before speaking again. She didn't like it here. She said there was nothing for someone her age to do here. Brent shook his head in disbelief. Crazy. Atlanta's a huge city. Plenty to do. He insisted. Celia's young, pretty, and smart. She was bored. She wanted to leave here, and she knew you, um, we disapproved. We do disapprove, Brent threw in. But leaving without saying goodbye, without a note, that shit isn't right. And she hasn't tried to contact you, not once in four years? No, they answered together. Where do you imagine she went? I asked. She only knew this area. I suspect she's close, or at least still in Georgia. Lynn answered. Where else? People get lost in Atlanta and big cities like it all the time, I thought. I will take any and all information you have on her. Driver's license number, social security number, phone numbers, email addresses, whatever you have. As I left, I turned and asked another question. You said she was talking about going to college after high school. Did she have a college in mind? And a major? She wanted to be a nurse, Lynn said, barely above a whisper. I made a note of that and said, Do you have a photo I could take with me? Yes, I'll get you one. Lynn rose from the chair and went inside. Brent watched her leave, then whispered, You might want to try Phoebe Burney. Who is that? If I had trouble hearing Brent, Lynn had not. A second later, she was standing in the doorway, which separated the porch from the entry to the house. Phoebe, why in the world would you mention that name? Who is this Phoebe? I asked, already writing her name in my notepad. I came back to the porch, feeling our conversation was not over. A friend of Celia's, Lynn volunteered, still watching her husband. Shit, Brent muttered under his breath. Friend my ass. 
Okay, perhaps friend is stretching it, Lynn admitted as she turned away from her husband. But they knew each other. Phoebe ran with a bad batch, not the usual crowd Celia hung out with. I don't think Phoebe received much parenting from home. Her father was out of the picture. Lynn's eyes went to Brent. Her mom worked a bunch of jobs until she died. It wasn't much before Celia left. How long? A month and a half, Brent said. Lynn seemed surprised that he knew the answer. There was something between those two, Lynn continued. But I don't think Phoebe had anything to do with Celia leaving. Do you, Brent? I didn't say that. Then why did you suggest her name? I asked. They both left at practically the same time. Brent was getting agitated. I'd seen this look back in the pen. Maybe they ran into each other, or planned to meet up. Phoebe was a criminal, Lynn blurted. This time Brent didn't argue. Instead, he found a spot on the porch rail and stared off in the distance. Lynn sighed in resignation and went back to watching Katrina. How so? I asked. Phoebe worked as a waitress at a small diner, Brent said. She did until she and the tech boy, Toby, ran off with the money she or they stole from the diner. Didn't take the police long to catch them, neither. They didn't even get as far as Marietta. Oh, they swore they were innocent. Said they didn't steal the money. Said that they were just eloping, as his family did not approve of her. But the money was sure enough gone, and they were in an awful hurry to leave town. After she was arrested, Phoebe called Celia. Our daughter used her own money to bail Phoebe out. Why would she do that if she was saving it to run off on her own? Neither answered, nor looked at one another. This boy, Toby, his father is big into computers, Brent continued. The police went easy on him once the old man replaced the money that was stolen from the diner. They told Phoebe to get out of town and leave their son alone. So off she ran. I nodded. It was typical of many smaller police forces in the South. Whenever rural forces have a problem that isn't worth their time and aggravation, or if the fix is in, they just tell the suspect to grab the next Uber out of town and not come back. That was the end of May, Brent said, a week or so before Celia left. I don't think they planned this, Lynn whispered. I didn't say they did, Brent said. Lynn shook her head at her husband then gave me the picture of Celia. It showed a young woman posed against a fake woodland background. A school picture. She was pretty. Bright blue eyes, long and shiny hair, clear skin without so much as a hint of a blemish. I looked from the picture, to the Baldwins, to the little girl playing quietly on the porch, and then back to the picture. I will let you know what I find. Lynn squeezed my hand. Again she said, Thank you. I shook hands with Brent and went to my Pop-Pop's Ford Explorer, now mine, parked in their driveway, then drove off. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Cold Hard Cash. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.